Uh, we're working through the uh, book of First Samuel, and uh, this is the first time I've ever preached narrative, and, and as we're preaching narrative, meaning stories and those things, it's, it says I'm putting sermons together, it's like, do I tell a story and then show you some Bible verses, or do I just read the whole story? And, and so I, I struggle with that every week, and, and you'll see in our notes, it's like, my goodness, Mike has a whole Bible in his in his uh, in his notes this morning. You're right. I'm going to be reading a lot um, this morning because it's just too rich. I mean, there's just too many words that are just carry. Uh, I can't even tell it the way it says it. So we'll just be uh, be reading a lot. But before we go into to reading uh, the scripture and reading the word, I just want to bring up a little bit of review from last week. We talked about the culture that we're living in. The culture that we're living in is not a culture that is seeking truth. People are not asking the question, is Christianity true? We're just, we're just not. They're asking the question, does it work? In other words, does Christianity work for me? If I choose Christianity, is it going to give me the principles that give me a better family? Does it work in my schedule? Does it work in my agenda? Does it work with my beliefs? In other words, does Christianity agree with the belief systems that I agree with? If it does agree with the belief, belief systems I agree with, then maybe I'll choose Christianity. But if it really doesn't, then, then, uh, then I'm not. Or maybe I'll take Christianity, and as a result of taking Christianity, it might agree with me mostly, so I would take it. But the things that doesn't agree with me, I'll just, I'll just change it. We're not asking if it's true or not. We're not asking if it's the way it is. We're asking, does it work? Does it make me happy? I mean, if it's going to make me happy, I'll sign up. Does it give me rest? Does it give me peace? Does it give me joy? Well, then I'll sign up. Does, does church give me fellowship? As a result of going to church, I'm looking for some fellowship. I will go to church, and if I get it, then Christianity's for me. I'm not going back to that church. Why would I go back to that church? That church, I didn't even get greeted when I walked in the door. And we're basing our Christianity on whether it worked or whether it doesn't. But if it's true, if it's the way it is, then it carries a power that is completely and entirely underestimated. See, if we're looking at Christianity as something, does it work or does it not work? If it works for me and it doesn't work for me, those kind of things, we are going to be in hot water if the church is ever persecuted. What I mean by that is that if where church is persecuted, it's not going to be comfortable it's not going to be popular. Christianity is not going to be popular. Christianity is not going to be safe. But if it's true, who gives a rip if it's safe? Who cares if it's comfortable? If, it, if it's true, who, who cares if it, it makes me happy? If it is the way it is, then I just embrace it as this glorious truth. If persecution takes place within the church, there's only going to be one type of people that will be standing. And do you know who the people will be standing are for? Are the people that say Christianity is true. It's the way it is. And therefore I won't drop because it is the way it is. What is true? I showed this picture last week. Here's the ultimate piece of what the Bible is all about in regards to truth. This is the Ark of the Covenant. What is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant is the Ark of the ultimate promise that God has given to mankind. On the one side, you see the Shekinah glory right in between the cherubim. That is holy, holy, holy. Stay away from it or you're going to die. I mean, that's just the way it is. And the reason why is because you are sinners. What is blood? Blood displays that if you go into the Holy of Holies, it's not gonna, you're not going to make it. 
Don't enter into the Holy of Holies unless there's a sacrifice. So in the Old Testament, they drop blood right there on the ark. It's called the mercy seat. Every single year, every single year for the atonement of waiting for the ultimate blood to be dropped on that ark. And the ultimate blood that dropped on the ark was who? Jesus, absolutely, leaving heaven, come to earth, dying on the cross, and walked into the Holy of Holies, shed his blood once and for all for forgiveness of sin. It's truth. That's a, a, a gift to us. That is our salvation. It should drive us. It should motivate us. It should, it should send us. It should move us. It is the source that when persecution takes place, if persecution takes place, that you can take everything away from me, but you can't take that away from me. Because it's a rock-solid truth that you stand on that cannot be wiped out of my life, and I will live for it, I will die for it, I will send for it, I will, I, I will do everything I can as a result of that rock-solid truth. That's what the Bible's about. But our culture is doing something else. It's doing the same thing that an Old Testament story was doing back in 1 Samuel. You don't take God as truth. You take God and to see what you can get out of him. You take God, what can I get out of God? Not looking at him as true. What can I get out of God and what can God provide for me? This Samuel was last week when he talked about Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas were people that were in charge of the temple. Eli was the priest, his father, their father. But Hophni and Phinehas had the truth. They had the ark of the promise <laughs> that God is going to die and shed his blood so we can be saved. They had that in their possession because they were in charge of the temple. And the whole Israel, the whole nation came to him once a year for the sacrifice of atonement. It, power was given to him. Money was given to him. Prosperity was given to him. Fame was given to him. And they loved it, every bit of it. So they fed on it. Who cares if the ark is true? Who cares if the promise is true or not? Let's take it and let's use it to gratify my own desires. Let's use it to gratify my own needs. And that's exactly what they did. They got wealthy off the ark of the covenant. They got women off the ark of the covenant. I'm a powerful person. And they started sleeping with the ladies at the temple. They indulged in their sinful nature by taking God and using him for their own glory. And then Eli didn't have the nerve to confront them or even stop it. Why? His God was more like a, a God of comfort. It's like, yeah, they're not doing it right. They're not doing it. It's, they're, they're manipulating. They're, they're wrong. It's corruption. But I'd just rather just be comfortable about it, you know, and, and he embraced something else in this process. So he's using God as well. I see God. I know it's truth, but I want to be comfortable and I want to live a life of comfort. So I'm not going to confront my children in the process. So then we see judgment come down on the children through Samuel. Samuel receives a vision, audible voice of God given to him. He says, I'm going to bring judgment on Hophni and Phinehas and also on Eli as well. And that's what we saw last week as they went to war. They lost 4,000 people. And after they lost 4,000 people, Hophni and Phinehas says, let's go back and get the ark. Don't you know what's happened in the Old Testament? Whenever that ark went before them in battle, they won the battle. Let's go get the ark and let's use God again to win this battle. It's kind of like a final straw. So they take the ark of God and they bring it against the Philistines and Guess what happened? They get annihilated. 
They lose it. They get annihilated. And then the ark gets stolen. Hophni and Phinehas die. Eli dies by falling over dead after he heard the ark was stolen. And all of a sudden, devastation takes place. And the ark now is in the Philistines' hands. But as we're looking at being in the Philistines' hands, you're still going to get that one concept. The concept is God exists for me. I do not exist for him. Therefore, the Philistines said, now that we have possession of this ark, (laughs) we can use it for our good and our glory. And we start chapter 5. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it to Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. When you look at the house of Dagon, you're going to say, who's Dagon? You know, who's the person? Dagon is not a person. Dagon is a pagan god. And a pagan god, and he's the pagan god of, of corn. <laughs> you know, pagan god of corn. Yeah, back in those days, you can make a god out of anything. Whatever you really wanted is, is what you kind of made the god out of. If, if we make a god out of corn, what does that mean? That means your, your crops are going to come. Prosperity is going to come your way. You will always, stomachs will always be full. Famine might hit everybody else, but famine will avoid you if you worship Dagon. That's how pagan gods were. I mean, you just make a god out of anything you want. Baal, what was Baal? Baal was a god of, of life. If you want your life to be full, if you want your life to be strong, if you want your life to be prosperous, if you want your life to be good, what do you do? Worship a deity that we attach to it named Baal. And when you worship him, he will make your life prosperous. He'll make your life good. He'll make your life exciting. He'll make your life thrilling. And that's what pagan gods are. In fact, if you go all the way through pagan gods, the astras are a god of, god of beauty. In other words, you, you praise and you worship and you give and you sacrifice to the astras. Why? Because you want to be beautiful. You want to shine in this world. You want to be seen in this world. You want to be loved in this world. Well, where does the God of astras come from? The God of astras come from the inside of us that is desiring to be beautiful. So back then they made a deity out of it. Kind of the same thing we do. We just don't put a deity into it. We don't worship the God of astras. We worship the God of beauty. I mean, what I mean by that is that we get obsessed with our beauty. Do I look a certain way? Do I not look a certain way? And all of a sudden, it's our king. All of a sudden, it's our lord. It's driving us. It's sending us. It's moving us. It's making us. It's transforming us because we get so obsessed with it. We don't have a deity attached to it in the 21st century. They just attach a deity to it. Well, maybe beauty is not your thing, as guys are saying, well, it's definitely not my things. Well, don't worry. If you go back to the Old Testament, they had a God for everything. They had a God for sun and storm. Means if sun and storm, who is that? Zeus. Well, we want the sun. We want the storms to stay away from us. We want to be protected. So we'll put Zeus there. So we'll be protected. Artemis is a God of fertility. Uh, Aphrodite is a goddess of love, a goddess of sex, a goddess of beauty. I want a lot of love. I want a lot of sex. I, I want beauty. So what are we going to do? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make a God out of it. And we're going to give it a deity. The goddess of wisdom, the goddess of reason, the goddess of wine, the goddess of orgies, the goddess of poetry, the goddess of music, the goddess of war. I mean, this is what pagan worship is. Pagan worship is, what do I want? And as a result of finding out what I want, let's make a god out of it. That's what pagan worship in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they put a name to it. 
In the 21st century, we don't put a name to it. We just worship. We just get consumed by it. We're just driven with it. We make it our king. We make it our Lord. We make it consumer mind. We make it take all of our time. It's what they're doing here. So they get the Ark of the Covenant. What's the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant is the Almighty. <laughs> That's God. It is the Ark of the Ultimate Promise. It is God. And where do they put it? They put it right next to Dagon. <laughs> Guess what? We now have two gods. We have a God of corn and we have the Almighty. You know, if, if we don't get corn, maybe we have the Almighty that will increase the God of corn. Yeah, maybe you can set the God of corn even on fire a little bit to get it really excited so it'll be really rich, really prosperous. We don't have one, now we have two. This is going to be a great idea. This is going to be a great system. I've seen the Ark of the Covenant defeat wars. Yes, they didn't defeat that war, but now we have the Ark of the Covenant in our possession. With Dagon, life is going to be good. So they set the Ark of the Covenant by Dagon. Probably not a good idea, which we see in verse 3. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fell downward on his ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon, put him back into his place. Must have been coincidence, <laughs> because we just defeated Israel. And we stole their God. We don't put that God next to ours and have that God knock our God down. Must have been coincidence. So they just put him back. Verse 4. But when they rose early the next morning, behold... Dagon had fell face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all the enter the house of Dagon do not uh, tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. What's God saying? (laughs) What a coincidence. You don't put me up to the next God. I'm the Almighty. You don't put me up to the next God. You don't use me to help your God. I'm the Almighty, and your God is absolutely nothing. Dagon fell to the ground, cut off his arms, cut off his head. He has nothing but a trunk, making a statement to the Philistines. Look out. The Almighty is now in your possession. And the gods that you worship, nothing. It's the words that are coming out. And then God got aggression in verse 6. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. <laughs> then you just look at the Bible and check it sometimes. What is God? What's the definition of God? It's supreme being. Okay, so let's talk about this. Dagon is the Philistines' supreme being. But their supreme being is in trouble by the Almighty God. <laughs> and, and now they're all concerned. We got to rescue our God, Dagon, from the Almighty God. I mean, why don't you just choose God? But they don't want to choose God. Why don't they, they didn't choose God? It's because we need corn. <laughs> You can't get rid of Dagon. He's the one that gives us some prosperity. And when the Almighty starts to threaten Dagon, who are you going to get rid of? Well, you get rid of the Almighty because we've got to keep Dagon if we're going to have the corn, if we're going to have the desires of our heart, if we're going to have what we want. Our God is against, the Almighty is against Dagon. 
our God. So we got to do something. What do we do? So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of God of the Israel? They answered, The ark of God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of God of Israel there. <laughs> Think about this. The first part. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines. Okay, our God is under attack. So let's go get all of our lords and figure out what to do with the Almighty who is attacking our God so we can keep prosperity in here. Again, why are you gathering all these lords? Why are you gathering all your gods to figure this out? We've got to figure it out because we've got to get rid of the Almighty because he's a threat to our conscience. He's a threat to us. So what do they do? They send him to Gath. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out to them, broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have, bought, they have brought around to us the ark of God of Israel to kill us and our people. Everybody's like, what are we going to do with the Almighty? He doesn't fit our agenda. He doesn't fit our life. He doesn't fit what we want. He's bringing judgment on top of us. Let's send him to Gath. Let's send him to Ekron. But we don't want him in Gath. We don't want him in Ekron. We've got to do something. So they gather up again in verse 11. They sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of God back to Israel. And let it return to its own place. That it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. Men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. He might be the truth, but the truth is a threat to us. Therefore, get rid of it. it might be the truth, but the truth is a threat to us, therefore send it to Gath, send it to Ekron, oh, send it back to Israel. We don't want the truth, because the truth confronts us. The truth says there's judgment on us. The truth is against us. Chapter 6, the ark of the Lord was in the country of Philistine for seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with the wet, we shall send it away to this place. They said, if you send away the ark of God in Israel, do not send it empty. But by all means, return him a guilt offering. Then you'll be healed. And it'll be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. One thing I just want to note is that everybody believes in God. I mean, look at this. The Philistines called the priests because we've got to figure out what we're doing. We've got to do something spiritual here. And what do the priests say? They say, make sure that you send God back a guilt offering because he's the Almighty and you want to at least have peace with the Almighty. So as a result of having peace, give him a guilt offering to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> and say, please don't do this to me again. And please say, stay out of our town. That's what they're doing. But they all believe in God. Number four, and they said, what is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, 
Five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on them, on all of you, and on the lords. Five numbers means five cities that were plagued. They're plagued with tumors, so the tumors, this gold calf was made of tumors to signify the plague that they received. The gold mice was to signify the habitation that they lost as a result of our God. To say, God, King of kings, Lord of lords, we want to be at peace with you. Don't come back. We're sorry. Take your tumors with you and take your mice with you. We don't want anything to do with you. That's what the Philistines are doing. Just be at peace with us, God. Number five. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to God of Israel. Make these idols to give glory to the God of Israel? Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods in your land. They're doing everything in their power to give themselves comfort, to give themselves peace, to give themselves prosperity, to give themselves everything that they want as a human being. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and the Pharaohs hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and then they departed? And they send it all back. Give it all back to Israel. They were defeated by God. But remember how the story goes. Is the Israelites carried the ark into battle And the Philistines defeated them. And that's when they stole the ark. And now there's no more Israelites around the ark. It is just God. And that is it. It is just God. What is God saying? He said, I'm the Almighty. Believe in me, Philistines. Open your eyes to truth. I'm the King of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. And I know you want nothing to do with me, but this is who I am, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And they're like, well, you don't fit into our agenda. You don't carry our power. No, we don't want you. We're going to send you back. But then they started thinking, what if all this was just coincidence? (laughs) What if all this was just coincidence? That the tumors came and the mice came and all these things that happened were just coincidence? If it was just coincidence, we just sent our other God down the road. They started to have second guesses. Because if it is coincidence, we can still carry the Almighty and we can still carry Dagon. We can have both of them. So then they started thinking before they sent the ark back. So they're like, you know what, let's just make a test to see if it's coincidence or not. This is what we will do when we send the ark back. Because then we will know if it was a coincidence or not. Here's what they did. Now then, Take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows, on which there was never come a yoke. And the yoke the cows to the cart. But take their calves home, away from them. And take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put a box at its side, the figures of gold, which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on its way to its land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has gone, who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened by coincidence. They started second guessing before they're going to get rid of that God and the Almighty, because they wanted to keep the Almighty, but they didn't know if it was going to always bring judgment on them. 
So the way they did it is they took a yoke and they put it on cows that had never been yoked before. Stuck it onto a car. It's like tying a cow up. Have you ever tied a cow up? I have. Don't do it. They don't get tied up very, very, very easily. I had a cow three miles away from my house. And, uh, and uh, there's a guy out in the field with me. And I'm like, all right, what are we going to do? I say, I'm going to take a rope around it, wrap it around its head, and I'm going to drag it back with my quad. <laughs> it's like, no, that he will drag the quad where he wants the quad. You just don't do that. Philistines knew that you don't just throw a yoke on a green cow because it will just go wild. They also knew that cows are loyal to their calves. So the Philistine says, all right, if this was God, we will work against nature. We'll throw a yoke on the cow and see if he takes it. And then we'll take his calves and we'll keep his calves. And then we'll turn the cows loose with the Ark of the Covenant on it and all of our gold idols that we put on there for a a guilt offering. And if the cows go back to Israel, then we'll know that God's in control. But if the instinct works against them and the cows return back to their calves, then we can keep the Ark of the Covenant and continue to use the Ark of the Covenant and we'll know that everything is coincidence. See, they're struggling with themselves. They're trying to hold on to God for their own purposes. Is God going to be able to be managed by me? Is God going to be able to be controlled by me? Is God going to be able to give me the desires that I want? You can see the struggle that has taken place. So let's just do the test. So they did the test. This is what happened. The men did so and took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart, shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box and the gold mice and the golden images of the tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh, a long one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh and said, Oh my goodness, God is in control. We don't get to control them. <laughs> I love cows. <laughs> kind of the heroes of the story. I mean, look at those cows. They didn't go back after their calves. That's a miracle. I know it's a miracle. And the reason why I know it's a miracle is because I have cows. Speaking of cows, let me show you my cows. I have cows, and here's a brand new one right here. Isn't that a pretty cow? <laughs> the mama cares about that cow. The mama will not run away from that cow, even if it has the Ark of the Covenant. In my mind, unless God's in control. Yeah, that cow is named, what is that cow's name? Uh-oh, I forgot what that cow's name is. Go to the next one. There, there's my black cow right there. Cows do what they're supposed to do. They take care of their young. They take care of their dad. They take their head and they put it around me and I just sit there and I just sit there and I scratch it. And cows are good animals. I'd like to see heroes in the story. You see these cows take the cows right back with the Ark of the Covenant and then they walk into Israel. And celebration takes place in verse 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in their valley and when they lifted up their eyes and they saw the Ark, they rejoiced to see it. The ark came into the field of Joshua and Beth Shemesh, and they stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. What did they kill the cows for? Everybody's celebrating. As they're celebrating, it's like, all right, take the cows out. God has brought the ark of the covenant back to Israel. Not to be used, but to be held on to. As a truth. And then celebration 
breaks out in verse 15. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which their golden, golden figures, and set them up in a great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. There are five golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, and one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unward village, and unwalled villages, the great stone besides which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua and Beth Shemesh. The ark of the covenant is now back in Israel's hands. What? So they can hold on to the ultimate promise that God is going to someday come and shed his blood for the redemption of mankind. Verse 19. And God struck some of the men of the Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord he struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. The ark was there. They're excited about the promise. They said, hey, look what we've got. Hey, let's take a look inside of the ark of the covenant. So they opened up the lid of the ark of the covenant, and according to this passage, 70 men were struck down dead. I mean, haven't they ever watched Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark? You don't open the ark of the covenant. The ark covenant, again, was back in their possession so they could... Use it for their glory. Use it for their kingdom. Use it for their greed. And God in this passage is saying, don't mess with me. Don't mess with the truth. I'm not just a God that you, you use. I'm not just a commodity that you can, that you can come to and, and get from. I'm the King of kings and Lord of lords who sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. Raise again three days later so you can walk into the Holy of Holies. This is a statement that's given to us of the power of God and the power of truth. But yet our, our world still consistently looks at what is God going to give me? Is God going to cough it up? And if he doesn't cough it up, I don't want anything to do with him. This whole passage and saying God's not there just to cough it up to give us what we want. I mean, that's a, that's a pagan Lord. I want to fill my earthly desires. I want to fill my needs. I want to fill my corn. I want to fill my shop. I want to fill, I want to fill it myself up. That's what pagan gods do. God's saying, I don't want to fill yourself up with stuff. I want you to fill yourself up with me. And yet you, you treat me as if I'm nothing. You treat me as if I'm just something that can be used. Then the man of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirath, Jarethim, saying, The Philistines have returned the Lord of the ark, the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it upon you. And the man of Kirath, Jarethim, came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it in the house of Adinadab on the hillside and that consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord from the day that the ark was lodged to Kareth jerithim 
I, a long time passed when 20 years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now they're questioning, what can we do with God? He's too much. He's too much. But the message that God is telling them and the message that God is telling us is don't use me. Just believe in me. Don't use me. Just love me. I'm not a commodity that wants to give you something like all the pagan gods want to do. I want to give you myself. And as a result of giving myself, that's where you'll find the life that you're longing for. That is where you'll find the life that you're looking for. This is an Old Testament story to say that God is at war with our gods. God is at war with our idols. God is at war with our indulgences. God is at war with those things. And the reason why is because he wants to give us himself, not things. I just want to look at four different things that God is at war at. Number one, God is at war against those who use him for their purpose and for their glory. Does God exist for me or do I exist for God? We exist for God. For God's what? We exist for God's purpose. We exist for God's glory. We exist for God's name. We exist for God's kingdom. We exist for God's image. That's, that's, that's the reason why we exist. God doesn't exist for us. God, come to me so I can have glory. God, come to me so I can have my purposes met. It's a, it's a backward thinking, but yet it's a thinking that we, as a culture and as a mindset, have, can easily embrace. God, come to me and build my kingdom. God, come to me and build my image. And if you don't cough up, then I will not worship you. God's at war with it. The reason why he's at war with it is because he is truth. And so we understand the concept that God is on his throne and we exist for him. He will consistently attack the things that threaten that relationship. We see it in the story, verse 5. The hand of the Lord was heavy against him, trying to use him for something rather than trying to embrace him. The hand of the Lord was against him. Verse 7, for his hand is hard against us. Verse 9, the hand of the Lord was against the city. Verse 11, the hand of God was very heavy there. God says, stop using me and just embrace me. Embrace the truth. What is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Ultimate Promise. Embrace the Ultimate Promise. Don't use the Ultimate Promise. Embrace the Ultimate Promise. And make it your King. Make it your Lord. Make it your God, the ruler of your life. If you don't, God's at war against you. Number two, God is at war with our idols slash gods. What is an idol? An idol is when you take a good thing and you make it your ultimate thing. An idol is when you take a good thing and you make it your ultimate thing. Now we can do that with, with things that... Um, that are, um, that are close to us. We can do it with family. 
Family is my ultimate thing. I would rather just be dead if I didn't have my family unit put together. And we give all our thought, we give all of our mind, we give all of our attention, we give everything we are into our family. You've taken your family, you made it your ultimate thing. And what is that? That is, that is an idol where you have given yourself completely and entirely to. Your family doesn't even have a chance in making it through life rather than even death if you don't make God your ultimate thing for the purpose of ministering to your family. You see how it works? Is God wants to be the ultimate thing that will step above every single idol, cut off their hands, cut off their heads, cut off their legs, because they're not, they're not what's going to make you happy. They're not what's going to fill you up. He wants to be your ultimate thing so the things underneath you can be blessed. Yeah, we have these idols in our life. Money is, is money, money good? No, we're just having a special offering. Hey, give money to the church. Why? Because we want to do a, a parking lot. You know, money can be a good thing. But what if it's your ultimate thing? What if it's the thing you live for? What if it's the thing you fight for? What if it's the thing you steal for? What if it's the thing you lie for? What if it's the thing you kill for? Well, all of a sudden it is ruling you. It is sending you. It is making you. It is your idol. And your idols are turning into what you're you're God's. What do you mean God? God is what rules you. God is what makes you. God is what transforms you. God is what sends you. And our money is making us. It's transforming us. It's sending us. It's moving us. Money's not a bad thing until you make it your ultimate thing. And then when you make it your ultimate thing over God, then all of a sudden it goes great, sour. We can do that with anything. Our jobs, there's nothing wrong with our jobs until it's our ultimate thing. And when it's our ultimate thing, we get rid of our families, we get rid of everything. Why? Because we have an ultimate thing. Make God your ultimate thing on the throne. Throw all your idols away. Make God your ultimate thing on the throne. And then all the things below him will be blessed. But if we don't, then those things are going to be destroyed. Because God's at war with them. We see it in the passage. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon. And he set it up beside Dagon. Yeah, we got Dagon. He's the ultimate thing. We got God. He's the thing too. Let's put them together. What takes place in verse 4? But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the hand of Dagon on both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left. These idols don't save you. These idols don't make you. These idols don't love you. These idols don't care for you. These idols don't help you. That's a statement God is making. They don't do it. You might put them there on the throne, but they do not do it for you. He's the only one that will do it for you. Therefore, when you embrace him, he's at Lord. He's at, he's at war, not only with them or only with us, but he's also at war with them. And we see that in verse 7. The ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against who? Dagon, our God. What's he saying? God is against your idol. God is against your gods. The ones that are ruling you, the ones that are sending you, the ones that are making you, the ones that you made, the ultimate thing, God is, is, is against those. What do I mean against those? He's attacking those. And if you attack those, they're going to attack you. What do you mean your idols are going to attack you? 
is if money is your ultimate God, it's going to torment you because you'll never have enough. If money is your ultimate God, you're always going to live in fear because you're afraid of losing it. And if you lost it, then you'd have nothing else. If your family was your ultimate God, well, then you'd control it and be obsessive with it and not want to give it freedom to it. If, if, if uh, hobbies was your ultimate God, then what's going to take place is you'll lose everything as a result of trying to have fun and losing it all at home. What happens with God is God wants to be your ultimate thing for the purpose of making everything else come alive in your life. And that's why he's at war with your idols. That's why he's at war with your gods. For the same plague was on all of you and it was also on your lords. And those lords are turning around and they're actually cursing you. The ones we worship, God's at war against and they're coming back and they're cursing us. And they're doing it. Why? Because God wants us to open our eyes to the truth that he's the one that's on the throne. Number three, God is at war with our rejection of him. Our rejection of him comes in different words. You know, there's a whole bunch of different pagan gods that they worshipped, and you, you get that. You get Baals, you get the Asterisk, and you get all the different gods. But we have different words that we're using in the 21st century, and this is our words that we use to reject God is agnostic, Gnosticism. And what is agnostic? Agnostic means that I can't understand God. It's knowledge. It's just, he's too far beyond. He's too big. He's too, it's unfathomable. What happens if God's unfathomable, then you get to do really whatever you want. Why? Because he's just, he's just unfathomable. Look, you're a free man. Do whatever you want. You're a free woman. Go ahead and do whatever you want. We also use the words atheism. Atheism means there's no God. Why do we use the words atheism? I'm an atheist is because we can do whatever we want. The same thing they're doing in paganism. They just put a deity to it. What we do is we just use words so we can do whatever we want and be our kings and be our lords. Pantheism. What is pantheism? It's multiple gods. Well, if there's multiple gods out there, guess what? I can pick one and I can choose one. One that fits me. And if it doesn't fit me, I'll just pick another one. So what we're doing is we use these words for the purpose of rejecting God. Philistines rejected God by saying Dagon has got to stay on the throne, even though if he's not the Almighty, so get rid of God. And we see the plagues that took place as a result. Same thing that's taking place with us as we were rejecting God, making those statements. God is at war with that. He's at war with it. Number four, God is at war with our disrespect for his glory. Finally, Israel gets a hold of the Ark of the Covenant. Great. We have the King of Kings. We have the Lord of Lords. We can use him again. Let's take a look inside the Ark. They opened up the Ark. Seventy people died. (laughs) Like, you don't understand. You see what pagan idols are used for? Is they're used to touch. They're used to fill. They're used to give yourself away to. They're used to get close to. The Ark of the Covenant, <laughs> don't get close to it. Don't, 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 don't touch it. Don't open it. Because the Ark of the Covenant is a statement. I am the Almighty, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Shekinah glory Holy, 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 holy. Unless there's blood, don't get close. 2,000 years ago, there was blood. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and he entered into the Holy of Holies for the last time. When he entered into the Holy of Holies, uh, I would say not the last time, but for the first time, 
in regards to the redemption of man. He spilt his blood for the sacrifice of sins. So now all of a sudden we can just get close to God. Not the Ark of the Covenant, but get close to God. Walk inside of his presence and say, you're the King of Kings. You're the Lord of Lords. I communicate with you. I talk with you. You are God. It is you I will trust in nothing else. God has designed this for this relationship to happen. For us to find the joy we're looking for, the peace we're looking for, the happiness we're looking for, almost everything you're even looking for in life. He's designed it to be him on the throne so we can have all our heart's desire. God, we just thank you so much that you are God and there's no other. There's not an idol in this world that cares about us. There's not an idol in this world that will not use us, abuse us, and destroy us. But God, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You will make us. You will send us. You will drive us. Oh, God, you will bless us. Only when we embrace you as chief, King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray, God, that we would do that. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.